I met a man recently. We'll call him Eric. He was born with a very severe form of cerebral palsy. I'm changing details of his story, of course, to protect his privacy. Eric told me that his parents fed and clothed him, but that when he was little, they didn't keep him very clean. And once a physician filed a complaint against them with social services. All the while he was growing up, he was largely ignored, with no one talking to him. He had a brother and a sister, and his parents focused their time on them, as his siblings were all healthy and extremely active, and they were great students, and they were the pride of their mother and father. Eric told me that until he was 44 years old, and he met the woman he would eventually marry a year or so later, almost no one treated him with dignity. Only Alice, his wife, and someone in his distant past, Mrs. Rogers, gave him any love and made him feel valuable. Eric survived his childhood, by the way, by leaning on his faith. Although his parents resented the work of getting him to church every Sunday, and although they simply parked him in the back of the church and then ignored him, he learned to look forward to each Sunday morning. That's because Mrs. Rogers was the Sunday school teacher at his church. And one Sunday, when he was a special ed second grade student, and as she was herding the kids from the service to the Sunday school, she noticed him in the back of the church. Without saying anything to his parents, she went back there and rolled him into the schoolroom with the other children. All on her own, Mrs. Rogers called the special ed teacher at school the next day to find out how she should care for him on Sunday mornings. Mrs. Rogers not only taught him to put his trust in God and taught him that he was made in the image of God, she worked with the special ed teacher at school to migrate him into the regular classroom so that he could learn as much as possible during the weekdays when he was at school. Although he couldn't speak well, and he couldn't walk, and he had only limited use of his arms, he was very smart. I'll get back to Eric. I met him, by the way, when he was in the hospital with a dangerous infection. I'd like us to look at 1 Samuel chapter 31. This is the very end of 1 Samuel, and it tells of the Philistines routing the army of Saul, the king of Israel. His three sons were killed, Saul is badly wounded by archers, and rather than being taken prisoner and then tortured, he takes his sword and he falls on it. The next day, the Philistines find the four bodies on the battleground, along with those of much of Israel's army. They chop off Saul's head and strip off his armor. They impale his body in a public place for all to see. 
when the Israelites learn of what's happened to Saul and his sons, a group of men march all night to find and then reclaim the bodies of the three men and their father, the king. They then cremate the four bodies and the bones, which they cannot completely burn with their technology, are buried near a tree. By the way, it might seem from this that Saul's kingship was a failure. But in truth, Saul's leadership combined with the war that took his life brought unity to the Israelites. And that was very important for the future of Israel. And up until that final battle, Saul succeeded well in checking the progress of the Philistine army. So in truth, his time as a king, while it was far less successful than that of David or Solomon, was quite successful in its own right and very critical historically. There's another subtle point here, and it has to do with what I really want to get at today. The Israelites did not normally cremate people. They buried them. Saul's death was at best unceremonious. The four men were cremated because their bodies had been so badly disfigured by their enemies. It seemed that the most honorable thing was to quickly burn them so that nobody saw the condition of their bodies. They were doing their best to honor their king and his sons. I'd like to get back to Eric. The reason I ended up visiting him is because his wife was in the ICU. I didn't even know initially that he was in the hospital. She had a cancer that had metastasized to several places in her body. They had performed an emergent surgery on her because she was in tremendous pain. And although they knew the surgery wouldn't extend her life, they wanted her to be comfortable as they moved her into comfort-only care. When I was talking to her, she expressed a very deep concern for her husband, who she told me was on another floor of the hospital at the same time. She was having tremendous trouble focusing on me and on her own words, since she had just woken up from surgery and was being given massive amounts of painkillers. But she was determined to convey something to me. She said that she had asked to have the chaplain come in and talk to her, not for herself, but because she needed someone to check on her husband. Let's call her Susan. Susan explained that all during their marriage, and they had been married for about 14 years, starting about six months after they met, they had planned for his death, not hers. She took him to countless doctor's appointments, cared for him day and night, dealt with at least 50 medical emergencies involving him, sat through surgeries that he underwent, worked an extra job to pay for all the medical supplies he needed, and constantly prayed that 
he would be allowed to live a long and happy life. It never occurred to either of them that she would be the first to die and that she would die relatively young. When I met with Eric after talking to Susan, it took me a while to be able to understand what he was saying, but he was a very patient man. He was very gracious. And after about 10 minutes, we were talking smoothly. His biggest concern was that since he didn't have a job and they had been unable to save even a tiny amount of money, he didn't know how he was going to pay to bury Susan. He wanted to honor the woman he loved, who was the only person other than his Sunday school teacher, Mrs. Rogers, who had treated him with dignity. He must have used that word dignity five times with me. And treating his wife in death the way she deserved would call for money. He was also upset because his disability would keep him from being able to visit Susan's grave very often. I told him that it didn't cost much to have someone cremated, that I was sure he could find someone to do it for between $500 and $1,000. He told me that he didn't even have $100. I told him that I would find a mortuary that would do it for free. And later, after Susan passed away, and that was about a week later, I did indeed do that for him. But Eric was a man who had been isolated all his life. And the truth was that there were many things about normal society and our culture that he didn't actually fully understand. He thought that the only proper and respectful way of dealing with a dead loved one was by burying them. That cremation wasn't at all respectful. I told him that many people who had lots of money chose cremation and that some people consider it better for the earth and that other people wanted to spread the ashes of their loved one in a place where that person had enjoyed life like a national park or a hiking trail. He quizzed me about this for quite some time, and I was finally able to convince him that it would be perfectly fine to cremate Susan. He said that he didn't want to spread her ashes anywhere, though. He wanted her to be buried in a fixed place where he knew he could go and find her and visit her after she died. He asked me if you could bury ashes just like you bury an entire body. I said, yes, of course, and that I would help him find a way to do that cheaply or for free too. Then he said that there was still one remaining problem. He wouldn't actually be able to visit her very often because of his disability. I told him that he could actually keep the ashes in his home if he wanted. His eyes opened wide. And he asked me, you can keep human ashes? It's legal? I said, yes, of course. Lots of people do it. Once Susan was cremated, the mortuary would bring the ashes to him wherever he was. He smiled warmly. He asked me if I would truly help him get her cremated. And I said, yes, I promise. 
He still had some reservations, though, about cremation. He said that they had always talked about Susan having him buried in a casket in a pretty cemetery somewhere with lots of grass and trees, somewhere where she could come and put flowers every week, a place where there would be lots of other people visiting their loved ones and where there would be pinwheels twirling over the graves of dead children. Burning her body, though, it still bothered him. Then I told him about King Saul and how the people he served had decided that it was a very honorable way to manage his body. I said, you're not going to cremate her for the same reason. She's going to look perfectly fine when she passes away. She'll have been sick, of course, but lots of people are very sick when they die. And that people at the mortuary make someone look very good if you want to have an open casket. But still, Susan could be his King Saul, the person who led him through life, who made him feel valued, who reflected the love of God to him, and who blessed him every day they were together. She had cared for him just like King Saul had cared for his people. She didn't die for him like King Saul died for his people, but she would have very willingly died for him. He said that was true. She would have died for him. I asked him if he was going to be able to go on with life okay once she was gone. He said that he knew that he would be alone again that he wouldn't be able to live in their apartment. Not only would he not be able to afford the rents in town, but he would have to live somewhere where people could care for him, that he couldn't be independent. He hung his head and grimly said that they'd probably put him in a nursing home. I didn't argue with him because I knew this was true. But I did tell him that many of the skilled nursing facilities in town are quite nice and that I have visited many of them as a pastor and a reverend. He asked me about them and I assured him that most of them were very nice inside and out, that they looked like houses and they typically had chapels and libraries and movie rooms and that they had lots of shared space with nice furniture and that there'd be other people there that he could interact with. Eric is now healed from his infection, and he's living in a very nice, skilled nursing facility, and he's doing quite well. He's made some friends. Susan has been cremated, and he keeps the urn with her ashes in his room. He's built a little shrine with his Bible next to the urn. They don't allow candles there, but he keeps an electric candle turned on day and night. He's put some flowers there and he has them replaced frequently. Various people where he's living volunteer to get the flowers. He's also got a pinwheel there right next to the Bible and the urn. <laughs>